0: Content warning. War, genetic engineering, PTSD, homophobia, and weird ideas about homosexuality. Action! Excitement! Horror romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying canoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these... that old experiment they told us about in high school biology take a flatworm and teach it how to swim through a maze then mash it up and feed it to a stupid flatworm and lo the stupid flatworm would be able to swim the maze too i had a bad taste of major general in my mouth actually i suppose they had refined the technique since my high school days with time dilation that that was about 450 years for research and development at Stargate, my order said, I was to undergo indoctrination and education prior to taking command of my very own strike force, which is what they still called a company. For my education on Stargate, they didn't mince up major generals and serve them to me with hollandaise. They didn't feed me anything except glucose for three weeks. Glucose and electricity. They shaved every hair off my body, gave me a shot that turned me into a dish rag, attached dozens of electrodes to my head and body, immersed me in a tank of oxygenated fluorocarbon, and hooked me up to an ALSC. That's an accelerated life situation computer. It kept me busy. I guess it took the machine about 10 minutes to review everything I had learned previously about the Martial, excuse the expression, arts. Then it started in on the new stuff. I learned the best way to use every weapon from a rock to a nova bomb. Not just intellectually, that's what all those electrodes were for. Cybernetically controlled negative feedback kinesthesia. I felt the weapons in my hands and watched my performance with them. And did it over and over till I did it right. The illusion of reality was total. I used a spear thrower with a band of Maasai warriors on a village raid, and then when I looked down at my body it was long and black. I relearned a pay from a cruel looking man in foppish clothes in an 18th century French courtyard. I sat quietly in a tree with a sharps rifle and sniped at blue uniformed men as they crawled across a muddy field towards Vicksburg. In three weeks I killed several regiment electronic ghosts. It seemed more like a year to me, but the ALC does strange things to your sense of time. There are probably three books that represent a sort of military sci-fi canon, and those three books are Starship Troopers by Robert A. Hanline, Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, and The Forever War by Joe Haldeman. That last is the book we'll be looking at today here on What Mad Universe. Hi, I'm Adam Prosser. With me is Philip Rice. Hello. And uh, we'll be looking at The Forever War, hopefully not forever right after this break. Okay, and we're back. So, yes, um, yeah, there's there's sort of a sub-genre or even a sub-sub-genre of sci-fi, military sci-fi, which uh, some people are really into. Um, it probably, even though Starship Troopers isn't l- literally the first uh, story of depicting science fic- uh, futuristic war
1: via sci-fi means, uh, it's arguably... I believe there's one from, like, the... Late Victorian era. I I haven't, like, it's out of print and I can't track down a copy, but mm-hmm. apparently there's, like, some sort of galactic war novel that's considered the precursor to military sci fi.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, there's, um, I mean, they definitely exist uh, before that. Uh, I would argue that, um, tales of war being told for entertainment, uh, really kind of, um, dug in in the post World War 2 period. I mean they they existed before that, but um yeah, it's it's um it it was you know in the pre post World War 1 era especially, people didn't really want to read about war, I think. <laughs> it wasn't a popular uh, a popular conceit given all the people it, who died in World War 1. Um No,
1: it was a popular topic pre World War 1. Mm-hmm. Uh it was mostly the period in between the wars where it wasn't um uh, uh, Albert Robita, uh, and I haven't read this one, you know, the author of Saturn and Ferrandal, of course. <laughs> um, he wrote uh, a number of um, stories about what war would be like in the 20th century, um, um, you know, uh, with, you know, sort of uh, steampunk, diesel punk technology, and they're, they're sort of wacky stories and stuff. Um, and uh, he stopped writing those when you know World War 1 came around. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot nobody of nobody wanted to read that crap.
0: Yeah, I mean people literally saw, thought World War 1 might be the it was called the Great War and a lot of people literally thought well that's possibly the end of war <laughs> because it was such a a nightmare and such a, you know, a a waste of human life and everyone thought it was being fought for the wrong reasons and you know there was definitely a real uh that's that's very interesting from a historical perspective on the the sort of hinge on which World War 1 uh hung that might have uh, shifted society in different ways. But of course, um, you know, World War Two happened. Uh but yeah, anyway, so uh when Starship Troopers uh happened and it was written by an actual World War Two vet as we did when we discussed uh we discussed the uh the the book, uh where it came out in the fifties. Um and uh this book is uh for the Forever War is written by a, a Vietnam veteran, Joe Haldeman. Uh it came out in nineteen seventy four and uh the main uh principle here um actually Phil do you know what do you know about this book if
1: anything um just what you told me uh last week uh, when you were talking about it uh, i you know I haven't read this or mm-hmm. really looked into it, but uh you said it's um uh a war fought between two uh very distant enemies um, and uh in order to transfer troops to the you know Battle lines. Uh, uh, the ships, you know, travel and are affected by uh, uh, special relativity. So they, um, uh, when they get there, uh, time has passed longer outside of the ship than in it, uh, right. by a factor of uh, quite a bit. Right. the The principle of uh, special relativity
0: states that um, as you get closer to light speed, um, time relative time. Uh, seems to slow down for so people on the ship uh, days or weeks might seem to be passing whereas years would actually be passing outside back on a planet for instance um, and um, that goes fast the 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 difference in accelerates the closer you get to the actual speed of light whether or not that's possible to get up to the speed of light of course it's famously impossible to move faster than the speed of light uh, but um, If we could get up to like point nine nine percent of the speed of light, you would, in theory, start to see these weird effects like this. So, somebody would fly. Or if we do the
1: Futurama thing where we raise the speed of light,
0: (laughs) yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, uh, but I'll get to that later in this in this. Um, uh, But yeah, it's um, uh, yeah. So, like the idea is the principle is that somebody could top on a spaceship. Uh, take what for them is like a year-long voyage and come back and centuries would have passed on Earth, potentially. What's interesting here is that uh, there actually is a method of um, uh, faster-than-light travel. Uh, there is a natural phenomenon in this sci-fi universe called collapsars, which are discovered quite early on, Um In uh, in in human history, as it as it were, Um, which uh, and if you enter it at a certain angle, you will emerge at another collapsar, which could be on the other side of the galaxy. It's effectively a wormhole, although they. They do kind of call it a wormhole in the second book. Uh, I think the the phrase wormhole hadn't been at least popularized in the first book, so they don't call it that in this in the in the first one. Uh, but yeah, it's the idea that if you enter a collapse at the right angle, you'll come out at another one at a different angle. Um, but getting to the collapsars, because they're effectively uh, they're stars, I think, that have collapsed in a certain way. Um, so getting there still requires you to travel faster than the speed of light for. You know, months at a time. Uh, sorry, they're not stars. They're they're cosmological phenomenon. So there are, for instance, ones within, um, like within our solar system that we can hit. They're apparently very plentiful. So you can jump all over the galaxy, but you still need to get there um, on a sh- on a trip that'll take you, you know, uh, years and years just to get there. Uh, so that's the that's how the the the, the relativistic aspect works. Um, and in fact, this book starts. Uh, I believe in 2007 is the year that it starts, uh, where we apparently already have space travel and near-light space travel that enable us to hit uh, the collapsers and we've begun to branch out into the uh, the, the universe. And uh, Haldeman actually apparently said, you know, almost immediately after, he said, yeah, it's, it's a very short time frame to be going into outer space uh, from 1974. I, I did it with the idea that some of the military leadership from Vietnam would still be potentially in power in 2007 so you can see it's very specifically linked uh to the idea of the vietnam war um and uh but yeah
1: this is set in the universe where elon musk was allowed to (laughs) you know invent all the technology he wants i
0: guess i mean he was he he is in this universe i don't see the difference really Uh, i would say the uh the military stepped up and and uh like space travel continued on the arc it was in in the early 70s whereas of course it was arguably starting to to scale back a bit already by the time haldeman was writing um but um yeah they they encounter another species known as the Torrens, which are very mysterious uh because they're near the constellation of uh, i don't think it, it they're they're not even near uh uh, the star named Taurus, but it's like they seem to be there because of the constellation. I think it's there near Aldebaran but they thought Aldebaranian didn't sound good, so they just called them the Torrens. Um, and um, but yeah, so the the, the conflict with the Torrens uh, breaks out because they because they seemingly attack a, an earth freighter and destroy it of colonists because colonies is starting to to branch out as soon as these collapsers are discovered. Uh, so Earth goes to war. Uh, the lead character, uh, William Mandela, um, is the, uh, you know, signs up and goes off for a stint. And one of the, one of the things they mention, because they already know that the, uh, uh, the relativistic thing is going to kick in, so they say, well, here's the thing, You're, you'll get paid, you know, a grunt salary, but because of uh, appreciating value back at home, by the time you get home, it'll be worth, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. So, you know, one quick stint out into uh, Out of Space uh, will make you rich for life, basically. As even as a buck private uh, so he signs up he go, he goes out into a uh, pretty much a hellscape of war uh, badly managed and uh, um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, sort of oh show you show up at a planet uh we don't know what's happening there maybe the maybe the the enemy isn't even there um, okay, turn around and go home um, they they are given fighting suits which are clearly again a nod to starship troopers uh that give you uh like an in, increased um strength uh which you have to learn how to use a, a lot of the first section is literally just the training camp um like the actual the actual fight when it kicks in in the first section where he's a private is um uh is is over pretty fast but um you know he's it's with with very high high loss ratio but he does pull <coughs> out he survives, and. Um, and by the time he gets back, um, you know, uh, his dad's dead. He does get back in time uh, from the first round uh, that his mother is still alive. Uh, and his uh, some people he knew on Earth are still alive, but although they're very old. Uh, and then there's a big thing about how Earth is seemingly entering into a bit of a decline, uh, because um, for them it was 30, 40 years, uh, even though for him it only felt like a couple of years. Um And like the war the world is on a war economy that's been going on for uh like I say, decades. Um uh you can see how there's oddly there's something like UBI, a universal basic income, uh, but it's apparently not enough to support people. Uh they there's a job shortage and you have to literally like bribe people to like take over their job for a day (laughs) and then um so you can get their salary and the and of uh, various other arrangements like that. Wait, There's very... how
1: would that work?
0: <laughs> well, if you bribe people who have jobs, like the people who have jobs are sort of set, so they don't mind taking a couple days off and letting someone acc- accrue their salary. Oh, so okay. they'll, you know, and and uh, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure uh, how they accept the. It's it's set up through intermediaries essentially, so it's really more about taking time off uh, for you than it is getting extra money because you know you. you you, you you have all the money you need from work, but you want to get some time off, basically. So an intermediary is the one who takes the fee. Um, but it, they've talked about how it does get into some fairly ridiculous situations with that, but people just, uh, they need the work, basically. Uh, also, um, there's very high crime rates, apparently. So, uh, you know, most cities, you, you have to, literally, people hire cheap bodyguards. Uh, like, that's a, that's something most people can afford, Uh, to look out for them Uh, there's violence Uh, there's even more violence out in the country people live on communes where all the food is grown uh, but they're regularly raided Um, they talk about for instance how there was a uh, a war uh, there were number of wars fought between um, uh, uh, third worlds and and separatists who wanted to end the war obviously against the taurans and said let's just stay on earth and fix the problems on earth so there was like a war, a domestic war being fought while they were out fighting among the stars um and when mandala gets home he's one of the first wave of veterans to return home people haven't seen what it's like fighting in in outer space at all so uh, a lot of people are sort of like they're kind of like oh is the war still going on which is funny because it ends up being a hell of a lot like the afghanistan war that were that well recently ended in quote marks but you know the same kind of thing of like hey the war's going on and uh we're only occasionally reminded that it happens um and his mother uh, another thing that's well i'll I'll talk about it in a bit but um his mother dies um and his lover who he's uh, a woman named mary gay who's become his lover uh her parents are actually killed in a raid because they lived out in the country and there's some Some violence there. So they both kind of say, oh boy, we've got nothing here and Earth kind of sucks. Um, They've got a standing offer to go back and train, uh, to rejoin the military and become a training on on Luna, the moon. Um, So they say, well, there's nothing for us here. Let's just go to Luna, live together, and train cadets. Uh, They go there and um, immediately they're mustered back out because there's a lack of men. They kind of, the military pulls a fast one on them and says, okay, you've been upgraded to officers. You're now sergeants, uh, but you know, you got to go back out into the fray. (laughs) And they, they're like, well, you guys sure pulled one over on us. Uh, Very upset about it. Um, And then they keep fighting. Eventually uh, I won't go blow by blow, but they keep going out into the war and eventually it starts to span, you know, thousands of years. Um, I think it's something like 34 the year 3400 AD by the end of the book. Um they they got they go back uh, together after a uh, a brutal uh fight to a place called Heaven, which is the hospital uh, respira- uh the respite planet. Um and they have, you know, some time together there recuperating from Battle wounds; they're able to like regrow limbs at this point. Of course, technology is leaping forward. Every time they come back, there's like all kinds of high tech gadgets. gadgets. The suits are better, and they're pers- fitted to your personally uh, your personal form. Um, but then, as they're mustered out from heaven, um, they're told they're actually assigned to two different locations, and they realize, like, oh my god! In horror, like these two are the only people that, that they only know each other. Um, like they're the only two people who know each other, like they're and the only two people from their time because the new recruits as coming up are from later time periods, which means literally hundreds of years later. Um, they're like the only connection to each other and to Earth in their own time, and then they're told they're going to be assigned to different locations, which because of relativistic time periods means that they're probably never going to see each other, and one of them's probably going to die hundreds of years before the other one even knows about it. Um, and so it's it's this very heartrending moment where they realize like they they're being mustered out and they you know they even they literally talk about deserting and going off and they're like well they'll find us they'll kill us we'll die either way so may as well go with this and maybe there maybe a miracle will happen and we'll both be able to reunite at some point maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll be able to stay uh to come back at a roughly same time even though they know that's not going to happen so they split up and then they go off to the final the final battle by the end he's like he's a, a ranking uh corp uh colonel um and he's got all these men under him which is very weird because they don't even speak the same language as him they've had to they've had to learn english just to work under him basically <laughs> um he has to uh his the final climax is they have to uh hold a planet and build a base that's all they have to do uh but of course they know they're going to be under attack from from Tarans. um when they go there, uh, they they are indeed under attack. They have a thing um, that uh, basically uh, it, it's a, a kind of a force field that they can put up, and it actually it kills um, kinetic energy, so that like any missile launched in is just going to sort of stop and drop dead. And you have to wear protective suits, of course, because if you go in there with your uh, unprotected, your like your body's electricity dies instantly, and you're just dead. Um, and you, so the only way to fight in there is to literally use uh, like spears and swords and bladed weapons, for instance. Um, <clears throat> so they're actually training on ancient
1: weaponry for that exact reason, which I mentioned in that bit that I quoted. Um, oh, that's uh, similar to uh, to the world building in Dune. They have uh, they use swords and knives because uh, they have personal force fields and blaster. You know, guns and blasters won't won't really be effective. So they um, it's sort of reintroduced uh, you know melee combat
0: yeah exactly uh, that seems to have been a big this is all, not that long after Dune was published so that seems to have been a big thing in science fiction around that time uh, even though this is like quote harder sci-fi uh, than Dune that that's just uh, a kind of a, an offbeat now I, I need to point out that like the combat and action in this is not even remotely glamorous. That's very, very much uh, deliberate on Haldeman's part. There's a few, like, exciting moments, but it's the kind of waiting around to see if they're going to get bombed flat kind of thing. Like, if they're going to die instantly because someone pushed a button. Um, there's very little, uh, What like, they hold this base, and uh, they basically just hold it for a week uh, or two. Uh, from the taurins like they literally just hunker down in their in their squad location the taurins pop their head in they kill them and then they stop seeing them for weeks then they all do a big uh, wave through that they have to fight off a bunch of them die and so on it's 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 um you know it, it's a guy who's been in the army if not actually combat i'm not clear if haldeman is actually was actually in combat he was in the army he was a he was an in in the engineering corps so i don't know if he uh he saw uh, combat, but he certainly knows like the military is a lot of uh waiting around to die more than it is uh <laughs> excitement and action, and there 's no like individual acts of heroism in this other than uh william uh, Mandela does manage to save some of his men that 's about the the most heroic thing that that 's done as an individual and then they come back and then they suddenly find out so then the big thing at the end of this is they they're uh, they 're recalled and they suddenly are told, oh by the way, okay, the war 's over um it is a lie as as you said it's the the title is a lie (laughs) and um what's actually happened is that uh humans have evolved to the point where they have become a group mind um all humans are basically clones of each other uh interlinked with a, a group mind not telepathically instantly interlinked but um able to like book into kind of a a mental internet, so they can talk to each other very quickly uh, and share data, and like their brains can just instantly transfer and share data. Um, and a- in becoming this group mind, um, the uh, the uh, um, they've been able to converse with the Torrens because the Torans were also a group mind. Um, so once they did that, they were finally able to have actual conversations with the Torans uh, in a way that they claimed they weren't able to, although a lot of it was also just, the Torans would basically commit suicide if they were ever close to being captured, and um, you know, the, the, the military the Earth military wasn't too keen on like, having a conversation either so when they had the conversation, they discovered it had basically all been a big misunderstanding um, and um, that the uh, the um, the Torans hadn't had actual ill intent, and in fact, one of the reasons that humans were on par with the Torans, who were slightly more sophisticated than with them technologically as the Torans had not had to fight wars in generations centuries um so they had to kind of relearn the arts of war to fight the humans uh so even though they had some crazy technology at their bidding and and of course every time you made a jump you didn't know if the Torans were going to have like a hundred years of technology advancement on you <laughs> right um mm-hmm. or they could be from like like two weeks into the war and have, like, really primitive weaponry. You, you never knew what you were going to encounter, basically. Um, but, yeah, they they, um, they, uh, they had not uh, intended anything uh, malicious. It, it had been a disappeared uh, freighter, which had been mistakenly uh, f- linked to the Torrens. The Torrens were found in the vicinity of a, tra- a freighter that was destroyed, uh, but they weren't actually responsible for it. So once they, the two mines started talking to each other, uh, the group mind the humanity group mind just calls themselves man um I am man and um so they 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 developed peace basically and uh there is actually a happy ending uh, Mandela is uh told that Mary Gay was actually able to um uh what she we got back and found the war was over, and she was told basically, yeah, um Mandela is still out fighting and will be for centuries, but we can put you on a relativistic time. A shuttle that we've got which just goes out and back and like you, so you can wait out 50 to 100 years uh, in relativistic time and then you can go and and, uh, and see him when he's done you'll be we'll time it so that you're back in time to meet him and you'll be the same age and everything so they are in fact able to meet back up and, and settle down and start a family um, in this new utopian world that's the end it's actually a very very positive ending although then the sequel kind of explores interesting thing we'll talk about the sequel in a bit um but uh yeah so it's it's very much um it's a little more humanistic than i'd expected of course it's war is hell um it's war is not portrayed in any way positively or or um or glamorously um and it is very much as pretty much everyone has pointed out it is a response to starship troopers um and, um, but it's interesting because apparently Haldeman was a big Heinlein fan. Uh, and after he read the book, Heinlein sent him a glowing letter and said, I loved your book. It's great. Uh, Heinlein, I think, from what I understand, he had a tendency to love anyone who had been in the military, or even if they like completely disagreed with him about everything. <laughs> um, so, um, I think, and Haldeman said that actually, he won the Hugo Award for this book, and he said, Heinlein's uh, letter meant more to me than the Hugo Award. So despite the uh, obvious, uh, uh, strong disagreement on the themes they were apparently uh they were apparently friends as it were within the sci-fi community um which is interesting so you know say what you will about Heinlein, he did like uh having people uh you know have interesting discussions with him and write books that uh (laughs) that that explored ideas that maybe he didn't agree with necessarily um
1: so yeah um um just the the general idea of um actually playing with the concept of relativistic time uh in uh in space travel um it's i mean it seems like a rich sort of um uh idea but i i don't see it played with that much we discussed in a previous episode uh, 1953's childhood childhood's end by arthur c Clarke, which had um uh it wasn't like like, the book as a whole wasn't about this, but it did have a plot point where a character, um, you know, traveled um, at uh, really fast speeds and then came back to Earth, and then Earth's, you know, dead right. by the time he gets back. Right. Um, but that's more of, like, just a thing to get the character to that point and,
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. It's so um, that there can be one, like, witness to what's happening at the yeah. end of that book, basically, yeah. Um, that we would relate to
1: and uh, uh a book i'm uh, a series i'm currently reading that we'll be uh talking about uh next season um hyperion by dan simmons um also um deals with it to some degree it's not the main thrust of it like it is seems to be in forever war but uh um there in that universe there's two methods of travel and one you know um involves relativistic uh speed and stuff um and the other uh has to be you know set up sort of transporters set up on different worlds um that's sort of it's like a hole punched in punch in space time and you can just walk through one and come out the other uh but you have to set that up on another world so you have to actually travel there with um and also if a world doesn't have that then they You know you have to um basically accrue a time debt so people are sort of in the civilization aging at different uh rates and they talk about um you know he's 23 years old standard but you know Mm -hmm. that sort of thing yeah yeah Um,
0: it's yeah it, it it there's a there's a surprisingly small uh number of books that yeah use it as a real plot point the um the uh the uh, three-body problem by uh, Six and Lou, which we should actually do uh, next season, actually, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it does in the later books really get into um, uh, like leap human uh, leaping forward, literally to the end of the universe, actually, um, and via relativistic time dilation as well. Um, so that is another series that deals with it. Uh, but you're right. I mean, most most of the time, it's seen as this problem, and we invent. You know hyperspace to to get around it essentially warp speed. Um,
1: yeah. Oh yeah, there was also it was a plot point in uh, the latest season of uh, Orville. Small. It was just a way of getting out of an issue. You know they were trapped in the past and they didn't have a time machine. But then they realized yeah. we can just not put up the quantum bubble and then right
0: f- right and travel at light speed and just we'll be back in the future. <laughs> lickety split. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but anyway, yeah. So it's it's uh, it, this is. I want to say this is one of the first books that really delved into that as like a dramatic device. Um, It's actually funny because everyone's uh, like people talked about and said, well, it's a metaphor for the alienation soldiers feel. And well, for both the, you know, the way uh, wars tend to drag out if they're not, you know, if they're they're poorly managed, but also um, the way that the alienation a soldier feels on coming home from the war and how the world has changed. And I'm like, well, sort of but it's not even a metaphor it literally is about those things <laughs> it's just dealing with if you put relativistic time dilation into the mix how much huger the problem would become essentially um like it's it's so it, you know i sometimes get a little bit uh, salty about people going well sci-fi is only good if it's a metaphor for something and all sci-fi is really just a metaphor for something. it's like it's not so much that it's a metaphor for something it's that it's like a good sci-fi is how would human nature or, how would human lives unfold if you threw in this new aspect into the mix, some of which is based on real science and real potential technological innovation? I don't think that's quite the same thing as saying it's a metaphor, um, but anyway, millions millions: yeah disappear. no,
1: I, I, I totally agree. like um, uh, sci-fi can be a metaphor, but it can also be um, uh, here's an idea for a piece of technology and how or technology or um, some sort of cosmic phenomenon or something you know right that's that's imaginary or hypothetical and how would that affect how humans operate
0: right it's 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 kind of the the uh, i mean people always say good sci-fi is about the here and now and that's obviously true again this is very obviously written by someone who had been in the vietnam war and it was about the vietnam war like there's there's just no getting around it that's exactly what it's about but it's not just i did the vietnam war but i put it in space like uh you know, the movie Aliens. I don't, I don't think the straight one, I, I actually sort of agree with J.R. Tolkien here in that sense, uh, that, um, you know, a straight one-to-one allegory of here's a thing that happened, but in space, uh, is not that interesting. And, and uh, honestly, that's, I think, a problem with a lot of, uh, especially Hollywood sci-fi these days, is that they just go, well, it's exactly like, you know, our current situation, but with this one sci-fi element. Whereas, you know, really what you need to do is think through the ramifications of the world building that you're doing and the the thing you've created and added and how that would deviate from our world in, in many ways, um while still having a parallel to our world as well.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely see that viewpoint though. I, I think also it depends on the tone of what you're going for. Like if it's a if it's a schlocky thing that's you know like that that has its um yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Sure. I mean, something like Andor being about, uh, you know, how imperialism works and how revolutions work is, and the parallels to existing wars is fine because it's a Star Wars universe and it's a, it's sort of a fantasy universe. Like it's not, it's not exploring science fictional
1: ideas, as it were. Um, I, I I agree with you, but I also think there's there's examples where, um, and I can't think of any off the top of my head, but uh, where it's basically just this is a historical event in space or whatever well i the movie that's that's fine to do if that's the tone you're going for
0: yeah the the movie aliens uh the sequel to alien um is very much a vietnam war movie in space and now like at the time i kind of went well there's this starship troopers influence because they have there's like cameron had actually intended for them to have sort of mech suits which didn't uh he didn't have the budget for in, in that case but um
1: well, they, they sort of had it, but they had yeah, pretty, they had those yeah.
0: big gun type things, which is his like his the, the equivalent of that
1: basically uh, oh and and of course the climax of the movie where she uses the uh, yeah the, the, next, the yeah
0: yeah, the carbo loader. but having read this book, I'm now like, okay, Cameron was influenced by this book, definitely, uh, because again it is it, it is literally what if I just did a Vietnam war movie in space, and that is a hundred percent what aliens is, um, and that's fine because you know alien is usually riffing on a certain genre every time it. Tells a new story, uh, or at least the the, written, the initial series was um, like they say. What if we did this genre in space, right? Um, but um, so it's interesting in that regard. Um, another thing about this book. So th- there's a bunch of different things about the evolution of mankind and how it ebbs and flows. He he's very emph- emphatic about the idea that uh, you know, oh Earth kind of sucks when you get b- when Mandela goes back to Earth, but you know it got better but then it got worse again but then it got better like it, it was like in the time you've been away there's been like you know generations and sh- political shifts and so much stuff has changed um a weirdly well okay one of the big uh things they talk about is just like i say that that crime rates go sky high it's funny because you know Haldeman's politics seem kind of like on the liberal side uh obviously uh but there's definitely a lot of banging into the idea that had been bubbling up from the 60s all the way into the 90s of like well crime rates are just going to keep going up and up and up and you know regular citizens are going to need to arm themselves because there's so much crime and you know society's going to go downhill and so all this sort of stuff um like that's reflected in and this is again directly like the near future how uh, how he's predicting it's going to go um, but uh, which of course ended up actually not happening, um, and crime rates have been continuously dropping since about that time so um, the
1: perception of crime rates is going up
0: as we as we've seen, yeah, exactly um, so that's kind of a, an interesting thing um, and um even like the uh, the utopian uh you know unity of mankind at the end he doesn't necessarily portray it just flat out as and that's great the end it's like the and and indeed that's what the sequel kind of goes into the idea that oh maybe that wasn't necessarily the best thing in the world and but but he's not it's not a straight up like well you know good or bad thing I'll t- I'll, so i'll get into that in a minute but i did want to talk about um uh, one other thing which is the uh, a thing that's got a major emphasis in this book somewhat surprisingly uh which is homosexuality um and he talks about how uh so for when mandela goes back to earth um he's being told that like 30 percent of the population are gay uh and it was it's encouraged because of uh, an attempt to keep the population under control uh he doesn't go in hugely on environmental devastation but he does talk about how that's becoming an issue um and uh just yeah like the earth is hitting its maximum ability to to feed people and that's partly tied to the crime rate and everything and and the 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 elements in which sci-fi uh in which uh, civilization is uh struggling yeah
1: the whole overpopulation thing is actually a canard that's not true and it's yeah it's in like it's not i'm not going to say it's definitely a right-wing idea but it's Mm -hmm. um because because it exists across the political spectrum but it's a uh, misconception that um, um, often feeds into like eco fascist ideas and stuff um, yeah but basically uh we make enough food annually to feed the world three times over and we just don't yeah well it's interesting because this isn't it, reading a lot of the
0: various books we 've looked at uh over the the years with this series um you know you you do see how um the uh like the politics are not as cut and dried at a certain time like somebody can ha- advance an idea in the 1970s and it meant something different than if you hear someone advancing it now in 2022 you know because like and and because this this plays more as just like well earth can't get off- overpopulated which is true i mean there's only you c- you could absolutely get overpopulated the earth it's just that as you say it's brought out as a canard to uh, rather than dealing with uh, the issue the 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 issues of uh, how to feed everyone and how to make life as good as possible for everyone. Uh, it's just like, oh well, obviously we have to reduce the population. How do we do that? Well, that's uh, that goes to some dark places, obviously. Um,
1: yeah, how- and like it, it's like that's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, ma- what is it, maltos How do you pronounce his name again? Malthusian. Yeah, Malthus. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. Yeah, and it, like it's it's directly referenced in um, a Christmas Carol. It's mm-hmm. uh, something Scrooge initially believes in. You know, we have to right. Um, uh reduce the surplus population that was a malthusian idea yeah
0: it is and and i mean um but i mean this doesn't come off quite that way like he talks about how they do get it under control and they do it through population stabilization that that is a thing and again he says that it's through the encouraging of homosexuality um which is and and as it as the series goes on so then when he's eventually made to colonel and put in charge of his troops uh at that point in history um he reveals that almost the entire population of Earth is, or the entire human population is homosexual. Uh, It's actually considered, and he's told that, like, you might be, we are concerned about a mutiny from your troops, learning that you're heterosexual, because they'll see that as a horrible sexual perversion, and they'll have trouble following your orders, basically. (laughs) Um, And it's, so it's it's done as like, and humans are uh, like tend to be uh, artificially inseminated rather than uh, produced uh, than than born the the uh, the natural way. Um, it's um, it's really strange in that regard because it's it's definitely uncomfortable in a lot of ways, and it's it's probably deliberately uncomfortable because I think like Mandela himself is meant to be a throwback, and he talks, he even says this as a character, like I'm just you know I'm I'm. I'm out of touch with, you know, I'm not. I'm an unsophisticated, uncivilized barbarian from the Dark Ages to these people, so I don't quite understand what it is. And it's it's positive towards like there's more gay characters in this than you ever would have expected for that exact reason. Just not the lead character and Mary Gay. Um, they eventually get to a point where they reveal that yeah, they can they can they can make you heterosexual or homosexual depending on what's needed and what you feel like, basically. <laughs> Um, what happens is that uh, they in this, but at the end of this book and then in the the, the second book, uh, man, this group mind of humanity has said, okay, well, we want to create a a place for veterans, which initially is seen as sort of like, again, how they're kind and utopian. Uh, we'll we'll create a place where you can come, you can join the the collective on Earth, or you can go and join in this sort of veterans colony we're going to found on this planet, which ends up being called Middle Finger. Um, and uh you can uh you know anyone there can be anyone who wants to, and anyone can go there um including a lot of veterans who were probably homosexual you can be switched to become heterosexual and have b- b- children and we actually encourage you to form a, a traditional old-fashioned uh, colony of you know uh, baby makers for the reason that we're a little we want a backup basically like we generate all of our humans through genetic engineering and cloning and and artificiality, so we want to back up population so that if there's some kind of genetic problem that we run into, we've got humans that are still alive and and functioning as a colony, basically. Um, so there's some weird ideas in this, in that regard. Uh, I would say Haldeman isn't like, like again, it seems like the main character, Mandela, hears about this and is kind of like, well, this is really bizarre, I don't know if I like this, but it's also very clearly presented as well he's a bit of a, a throwback, so he's not necessarily, you know, right in what he believes. The author doesn't necessarily agree with the character. Um the second book actually gets into how the um uh they they start planning for like a revolt against man. Uh and specifically what they want to do is just take a ship and blast it out of the galaxy. Uh, so far, the, and then turn around and come back, and then we'll, like they believe that the, the the experiment of the group mind, the human group mind, will fail, and they'll come back, and they'll basically be able to, like, lay the seeds for a new humanity. They'll be an ark essentially, um, and uh, they're t- they're initially told yes, they prepare for it. Then the group mind apparently the Torrens say no, you can't do that. Um, so then they they actually try to revolt and take over a ship. So that's the closest it gets to getting into the war stuff from the first uh, book. So the first half is this sort of planning for a an insurgency against man because it's a bunch of veterans, right? They're all they're all and it's kind of about like PTSD and not being able to let go of the war and like that's an element. But there's also the question of like are they maybe are they right? Maybe the utopia is flawed. Maybe it does need to be uh, reversed. Um, but actually, then the book takes a veers off in a complete other direction which uh, is interesting but is much further from the themes of, uh, f- of the first book like it's not about war anymore basically they they suddenly find all their antimatter uh, is is disappearing so they have to stop the ship after they're only quote only a few decades out uh, and stop and turn around and go back and then they find that everyone on middle finger and then eventually everyone on earth has just mysteriously vanished um, so there's something else going on there's a third alien entity that's uh, been playing a role essentially there's been a god overseeing all our actions this entire time uh, and this was all a lot of experiments on the part of god so it, it, it these god like aliens um so it, it really gets into a whole other thing uh, that isn't about war and 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 the consequences of war anymore uh it's about like the ideas that he had introduced in the setting but it's often another direction basically so um it's less relevant i think to the the ideas of the forever war uh but it does get like it, it gets very much into the same childhood's end thing you so you mentioned like uh they they just uh, increased the speed of light uh these aliens are like yeah we set, we're the ones who set the speed of light as a limit um <laughs> yeah so they literally say well we're gonna we're gonna head out for a few million years and see how you guys do on your own but I'm gonna leave the spe- the light speed limit in place just so you know and he leaves uh, so like <laughs> that is actually a thing uh, in this uh, but, so yeah it gets very cosmic very um like like a lot of science fiction it goes into like these big philosophical god and man and end of the universe type giant ideas rather than dealing with the military sci-fi aspect um I almost wonder if Haldeman was like, I didn't want to just keep writing like military sci-fi, you know, for people who wanted to see people kill aliens, even though that wasn't what the first book was either. Um, I don't know. Um, It's 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 a weird veer. The the final book is apparently dealing with one of the insurgencies that took place on Earth while uh, they were away in the quote near future. Um, so it's different characters. I didn't read it for that reason. Um, so it's it's tentatively that it's even a trilogy. It's kind of like he wrote a third book so he could call it a trilogy. Second book, by the way, is called Forever Free, and the third book is called Forever Peace. Um, so I think he and I think it's also they start to lay down the groundwork for the technology to create this utopian society. Uh, it's really interesting. I think we've talked about it before about how. Um, um, gene roddenberry in the intro to one of the star trek novelizations the first one the first movie novelization um he wrote about how well what you see on star trek is just a a vague depiction of what reality is and in fact uh earth is controlled by a hive mind of uh, benevolent uh smart uh genetically engineered super beings and uh people like captain kirk are the ones who go out into the, the cosmos to explore uh, but it's not really, you know, they're not really, uh, you know, th- th- they're they're seen as throwbacks. Uh, weirdly, there's got a whole element there. Oh, another weird Star Trek parallel is that the man says that uh, their clone basis is from uh, uh, a being named uh, uh, someone named Khan, uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, and again, this all happened in 1974, so it was before Wrath of Khan, but after Khan in. Classic Star Trek, so I can't figure out if that's meant to be a reference or not. <laughs> um, but,
1: uh, is it spelled the same, like with the H and A in those K H A N.
0: But I mean, it's also a very okay. common last name, of course. So, I yeah. mean, it's, it's hard to say. Um, but the fact that it's a genetically engineered group of super beings make me go, mm, maybe. And uh, Haldeman is apparently a huge nerd, uh, so <laughs> it's probably a Star Trek nod, but it's hard to say 100%. But,
1: uh, yeah, um, oh, uh, I just, uh, that this sort of goes into our earlier conversation about overpopulation sci-fi i just remembered uh, Soylent soil and green the uh the book that it's based on make room make room by uh harry harrison right. which i haven't read but i'm currently reading some other uh books by the author uh again for next season stuff but uh i i know that uh, Soylent and green the original novel the theme like it the the moral was supposed to be about overpopulation and the importance of birth control
0: right yeah, it's that um, that's actually a thing and uh, like the Star Trek episode about birth about overpopulation is also well, birth control and abortion are important basically. So, yeah, that used to be conceived as like the most important aspect of it. So it was coming from less of a creepy uh eugenics perspective, but yeah.
1: But uh that, you know, it, it's best to keep that in mind when you're when you're talking about it. <laughs> yeah just it can go there really quickly yeah and, absolutely yeah
0: yeah uh what did you think what, what do you think do you have any questions about the homosexuality aspect of it like uh, did, what what do you think of that exactly it's 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 hard um, to pin down i thought
1: yeah i'm not sure uh, it sort of reminded me of uh, gene roddenberry's uh you know he wanted more of you know that sort of stuff on star trek and they wouldn't let him put it in mm-hmm. yeah um like he wanted more, like uh, kinky sex stuff, and uh, but he he was also seemed to be fairly open about the uh, uh, about uh, homosexuality being depicted, but everybody else was against that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's progressive in some ways, but in other ways, he's just being horny. <laughs> yeah. This is less. There's less horniness in this book, I would say. There maybe there's a bit of mm-hmm.
0: like like. Well, he he literally says at one point, Mandala. Um, that's actually. There's also a short story that I read that is. Um, Uh, from Mary Gay's perspective of what happened to her after they mustered out and were forced to split up. Um, But um, he does talk about how, like, Mandela was, like, he was disgusted by, like, the fact that if you sign up for a sex VR, it was only, you know same gender um and it was you know he was disgusted by the male male but then he'd watch the women women one <laughs> and she was like she's <laughs> observing this sort of riley is like okay so you don't have as much of a problem when it's a uh, girl-on-girl action um so like you can see again like, like it's the character more than the author but the author definitely right one thing is like when when uh when uh, mandela goes back to base and encounters a doctor uh who says yeah i'm you know, I'm 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 uh, I, I'm homosexual, which is what they call it. Um, and he's like, he's a stereotype. He's swishy, and he apparently wears makeup. And he's like, like it's all the the the, the, ster- the gay stereotypes. But he's a good doctor. He's good at his job. He serves the plot. And they literally, again, they talk about like literally all the troops being being gay at that point. Uh, so it's a weird sort of like. You know, just because people are gay doesn't mean they're going to act campy and wear makeup. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah, Haldeman didn't quite. But At the
1: same time, a lot of, a lot of people do act campy and wear makeup. Yeah. I mean, and I think in a culture where uh, we're not as hung up on, you know, gayness being you know, uh, abnormal or whatever, I think more people would be free to explore that side of themselves. I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, I, I haven't read it, so I don't yeah, know yeah. exactly how it's coming
0: Unfortunately, across, but... I, I read this more as just, like, that's his depiction of gay... Although, like, I say that that's his depiction of gay people. And it's, and it's also meant to be sort of confronting Mandela and being like, oh, this is what the world is like, oh, there's a lot of gay people. And Mandela's, to be clear, he's not, like, bigoted against gay people, or he wouldn't have called himself bigoted against gay people in... You know 2007 but now he's confronted with a world of gay people you can see his like un- unexamined bigotries coming out and that's clearly the intent uh but because like and then like I say like all the troops he has to serve who have to fight under him are um are gay and there's there he doesn't talk about they're all stereotypes and stuff so I mean it may have just been this one person but I d- it does kind of also real read like Haldeman's just like well he's a gay guy so he's gonna be this way kind of thing um it's a little it's a little hard to say um it, it's well-meaning for sure I don't think it's it's intended as um um yeah like it's 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 meant to be like maybe almost like it's clearly meant to challenge the reader who might be against homosexuality of like well maybe it makes sense and in a utopian society maybe there'd be a lot of homosexuality um interestingly there's no there's no uh transgender stuff there's no um talk about like uh being uh gender non-binary or even any kind of spectrum of gender obviously like so that's kind of weird um i'm not i mean again it's not weird given it's ri- 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 written in 1975 for that it was ahead of its time in some ways but didn't fully you know he- cope with these ideas
1: um about yeah i'm go ahead. oh just I, I would uh again i haven't read this but i'm i'm willing to give stuff from you know like a sci-fi book from 19 the 1970s more slack than something written in the modern day if it, if it clearly means well even yeah. if it doesn't you know mm-hmm. use all the right terminology and maybe there's a few problematic bits but yeah. yeah i'm i'm more willing to to cut it some slack like uh i don't know movie Night Riders has has a gay character in it and that yeah. it's like unusual for that kind of film. Right,
0: yeah, it's exactly. It's like it's it's something at a time when you wouldn't see it, so you know, you don't want to attack it specifically. Um and 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 so yeah, it's it's definitely like there there's some things that maybe he would have thought about a little harder and yet <laughs> he would have come to something or talked to some gay people and come to different conclusions. But still it's well-meaning so you know uh, but it is very interesting that whole idea and then the fact that it can be turned on and off later and partly for practical reasons as well because they want a breeding colony Um, but like you know like so there's a lot of uh, ex-gays who have been turned homosexual but then he actually says in the second book that like yeah that doesn't that's not an either or. Like a lot of the people who get turned, quote, turned heterosexual are still going off and having homosexual affairs. So it's not like, it's not like he completely erases their personality and, and changes them and in that respect.
1: That also, even yeah. if it's like technology that's, that's, uh, changing them from gay to straight or straight to gay, that's still something like without the technology, they'd be one or, you know, right. be one or the other. Or, yeah. A uh, bisexual, you know, is another yeah. option, but, mm-hmm. um, usually one or the other. And, uh, um that's like it's not a choice basically yeah,
0: yeah and uh, although it, like it is weird and interesting how he talks about how like everyone just increasingly becoming gay and like he talks about the government encourages it but it's also like it, are they saying that given the choice everyone would become gay uh, or is it that like something is being done to make people gay like it's 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 hard to pin down in that regard like it, the implication is very much like yeah when the, when it gets encouraged and society doesn't put stigmatize it suddenly there's lots more gay people like way more than 10 percent you know <laughs> like suddenly it's everyone um and that's kind of that's kind of interesting to me so i'm not sure whether to read it as like um a technological and like in like imposed breakthrough or if it's just like people are now free to do what they want um i
1: the yeah as has been pointed out uh the rate of people, of left-handed people, has gone up exponentially. And that's not because, you know, there's either something in the, wa- in the water or that culture is telling us to be left-handed. It's just that, uh, you know, teachers aren't smacking kids with rulers when they use right. their left hand to write things anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so people who are left-handed are more uh, free to just be left-handed. <laughs>
0: Now I, I do read it as Haldeman like he's kind of, like a lot of sci-fi guys, I think Haldeman takes the idea of like cultural and social engineering pretty he- seriously and I think he re- does read into it a lot as like, yeah, they're like, it's happening maybe not even like deliberately but as a result of social pressures um, exterior rather than being like, occurring naturally I, I mean, if that's not considered natural, I, I think cultural pressures are natural as well, um, but you know what i mean so it's like it's maybe getting into like a bit of a dodgy territory from that end um i don't know i'd be interested in uh in hearing what people had to say uh, say about that in that regard but i think it's generally a well-meaning novel uh from that uh perspective um
1: also uh, the way way you were talking about the main character is like um somewhat of a throwback reminds me of how you talked about uh Christopher Pike on your one of your many other podcasts <laughs> uh Mary universe 1. Uh the idea of uh, Pike in the in the initial pilot for for Star Trek being um sort of a dinosaur in his own world, you know.
0: Mhm. Yeah that's definitely like what a a lot of like that that was a, the original idea of star trek was like it was a world war ii veteran in space but like a world war ii guy who was not a, not a veteran he's still in the military but it was like now the military is different now there's women here and uh, it, it's integrated and it's different and you know i think it's good but i'm not used to it because i that's not what it was like when i fought the nazis kind of thing um and transposing that attitude into space um so yeah, it's a bit it it does have a bit of that although it, in this case like the war is framed as just this very not mismanaged. They're good at waging the war mostly, in as much as anyone's ever good at waging the war. There's lots of mess-ups and things, but um like it's it's definitely like well we're just going to tell you what to do and we're going to we're going to arrange everything in such a way such that uh you know this is how this is how you're going to behave. And then in your off hours, we're going to encourage this behavior and we're going to build our planets around this. and Like it's it's that rather than, you know, natural advancement through, you know, human progression until we do finally get to the, the utopian human progression. So there you go. But I mean, that's all seen as part of the advancement into the group mind, which is generally seen as the the, the positive thing that ends the war. So who could say? There was a there's an early on thing, uh, like very early when he joins the military, when they all uh, instead of saying yes, like instead of sir, sir, yes, sir. They all say, F you, sir, because the military encur- like told them that to make that the standard response because it'll build their morale in case they're like they- lets them vent at the at the at the officers because they're angry at them. And Mandela thinks that's pretty stupid, but, <laughs> but that's but that's like the army encouraging you to be insult the uh, the the superior officer which is it, that's how oh. this the military in this book and probably in real life works it's like uh making decisions like that based on trying to keep the morale up
1: um oh i had one more question uh yep. the character's name mandela any relation to nelson mandela's or is that just no. a coincidence well
0: in fact it's probably because his the last guy uh, his his name is uh, haldeman and mandela is almost an anagram for haldeman um Plus, it's the idea of the Mandela, Mandala, which uh, like it's spelled differently, but it's clearly the idea oh, okay. of like, the, the wheel of, 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 of time uh, that exists in, in uh, Eastern religions and the Mandala. I think that's, that's the intention. It should be noted also, um, his, uh, like, uh, uh, Joe Haldeman's wife in real life was named Mary Gay Potter, and that's literally the same name as the character here. So it's definitely like a pseudo-autobiographical thing. That's, that's probably the intention. Well, we're getting mustered out, so it's time to sign off. Uh, we are your Commander-in-Chief, Four-Star General Adam Q. Prosser, and Rear Admiral Philip Rice. Engineering and hosting was by the Benevolent Hive Mind, Alex Ross, Alex Ross and Alex Ross, and our theme song is by Jack Furick with a full military brass band. Uh, just a reminder, we both have a Patreon, which helps our brave men and women keep fighting the Toran menace. And if you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this podcast early every time, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage, and illustrations and comics, among other things. Uh, just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, 1L, or Adam Prosser, 2S's, or what-mad-universe.pinecast.co for the links. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast, or Prankster36 for me, or Spear Half-Ock A for Philip. Uh, We'll see you in a thousand years when the war is over.